Welcome to Hope in Suffering, a new series of interviews where we ask the question, where do you find hope in times of suffering? I'm Alistair Wallace. I work for Scottish Bible Society and alongside Fiona Stewart, I've been talking to people from all over the world who've had very different life experiences, but have all had to deal in one way or another with suffering. And while the ways of suffering have been different, the places they look for hope is the same. They look to the Bible. You may be listening to this during a time of suffering. You may be listening at a place where you feel you have no hope. Whatever our circumstances, we want these interviews to challenge us to look further into the unique hope that the God of the Bible offers. One that doesn't deny suffering, but promises something so much greater than we can hold on to, even in the midst of this broken world and our broken lives. On this episode, we spoke to Kelly Sterling. Kelly works for the Trauma Healing Institute, a Bible-based trauma healing resource that is used in over 90 countries, including Scotland. Absolutely lovely. Um, I am a mom, a wife, a grandmother, and um, I am a volunteer. And so one of the things that I do is I facilitate the trauma healing curriculum. We wanted to talk to Kelly about her work, how the Bible points us to hope in times of suffering. But we started by finding out about how she started to work for the Trauma Healing Institute and a bit more about her own story. I had a friend who kept just dropping, I I call it dropping breadcrumbs. She would just speak a little bit about it. But every time she did, it really resonated with my heart. I knew that the scripture had something to say to victims of traumatic events. I just knew that God had something to say. Um, And growing up, I had heard a lot of things that didn't ring true, even in the church, that I thought, wow, you really wouldn't say that to someone who was suffering. That that is not helpful. And so um, I just kept leaning in every time she said something. And then I began to do some investigation and, um, and went to my first training and was blown away by it, partly because I had experienced my own personal trauma in 2008. My dad died by suicide and it was a complete shock to everyone that knew him. And so that was part of it. And he, he had walked with the Lord. So I won't go into a lot of that, but that's why it was so shattering because it didn't make any sense to any of us. And so it was that personal trauma, that friend, and that desire to know more about what the Bible can do to help those who suffer that led Kelly to find out more about trauma healing for herself. Like I said, I knew that God had something to say, but to have it put together so well, straight from the word, um, just really encouraged my heart. And I thought, I want to be part of this. And so that began that journey. So I've continued to be trained and now I, I facilitate trainings. I think it's interesting what you're saying about um, sometimes when people were talking, it was unhelpful. Did you find that you were discovering something new that perhaps you hadn't seen before in the Bible or or just something that wasn't touched much? I think growing up, uh, I'll be careful. Um, I'll say the West 
often we just think that we have control over things. And so often we just say things flippantly. Um, and so I, I don't know how to answer that because, you know, we just our own experience informs us. But the way my brain worked is somebody would say something and I would say that might be true with a little T here. But I don't think it's universally true, you know, and so and I, I knew that what God says is universally true. And so to, to say certain things, um, are you familiar with the term Pollyanna? There's a movie, but it means to just kind of always make the best of things. And I thought, you know, there are things that you wouldn't say to, to someone who's just lost a child or to someone who has experienced uh, severe sexual abuse. I thought these things aren't helpful. And so it was that kind of thing. I see, and now that I'm sensitized to them, I see God speak all through his word, you know, where we can be honest and where he, he longs for justice. He longs for it. Um, he longs to comfort us. Um, he's just, he's just inviting us constantly. There's a come. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to have been exposed, if you will, to, to seeing it. It was there. I just think I wasn't seeing it. I'm really curious about the Pollyanna thing and about why we do that. Are we afraid that we'll somehow break the Bible or break God or he won't be able to cope with the pain? Yeah. Well, I think we're afraid of, of our own emotion, getting out of control, if you will. We like to think that we have things under control and that we can manage and that things make sense. Um, that's very important to us. The way our, again, our Western minds work is things have to make sense. So two plus two is always four. And so you feel like if you've done what's right, then you can expect an outcome. And when that doesn't happen, then we're really shaken by that and suffering, you know, the long type of suffering does that to us over time. It wears on us that we start to say, who is God really? And what did he say he would do? And, um, and trauma does that. A sudden event is like somebody just turns the lights out on you and you're lost. And so I know in my personal life, the, the questions, it's like, where are you and why didn't you stop this? And so our suffering often calls into question God's goodness. We began to wonder, is he good? I thought he was good, but the longer we look at a circumstance or our circumstances or even someone else's circumstances, we begin to lose our footing, if you will. We feel, um, yeah, like we're like we're not on solid ground anymore, and so we're shaken. We're shaken by the experience, and that's where our hope has to be in who he is, and we get that from the scripture. We learn who he is in the scripture. We see who he is. Um, we, we have to reevaluate our expectations. You know, what, like I said, what did he really say? Did he say I would have an easy life? Did he say if I did all these things, suffering would never come my way? And then you realize he really didn't say those things. That what he says is that he'll be with me always. And that I do have a future and a hope. Um, but, but yeah, suffering throws us a bit, doesn't it? So where, where do you start in your, your sessions or in, in, in trauma healing? Because, you know, in some ways you can, 
think about what we've been talking about is is that we have this idea of who God is, and then when we suffer, we question whether He is what we thought He was. How do you start in a way that isn't just saying you you got it wrong? You you don't you haven't understood who God is. Part of the process of trauma healing is asking ourselves. What does culture tell us about these things? And culture includes what we tell ourselves. And then what does the scripture really say? Um, And so the first chapter often, sometimes we start, there there are two that can be inverted, but is if God loves us, why do we suffer? And what's interesting is that we often, um, we forget that, or or we, we tend to assign that to God, like God is doing this to me. And to not to get into theology too deeply, but while God does allow suffering, often it's there is an enemy that that causes suffering. We live on a in a broken world, and those are it, those are reminders that part of this is the experience, the human experience. And and then we look at does God love us? How do we know? And so we look at the scripture and. Um, you know, you can't get far without looking at Jesus and that God gave his only son and that actually God understands suffering in a way that we forget as a father who gave his only begotten because he loved us so much. I remember just sitting on those words, you know, for God so loved the world. He gave his only son, you know, so the father understands suffering. Jesus obviously understands suffering spiritually, emotionally, physically, those are reminders for me. And do you have any examples or stories you might be able to share with us about what it's like for someone to go through the trauma healing program? It is uh, several lessons, but it is a process. Um, and I'm going to kind of talk about it a little differently this time, but I wish I could say that, that we're not going to suffer, but I think to walk the planet is to experience suffering on some level. And so to heal... And that's what we want to do is, is to grieve well and to end up in a better, better place or at least better prepared for the next time we suffer. And so part of that is um, the process of being heard, getting to express your experience to someone or to the Lord, to grieve it, to lament, which we have a model for in the scripture, um, to then bring it to the Lord. To, to believe that he hears and can carry it for us. Often suffering may involve a component of forgiveness in order for us to really walk in health. And so we, we work through forgiveness as a process, understanding that it, it may take some time, not the choice to forgive, but the, to, to get there, if you understand what I mean, and then to experience resilience and rebuilding. And so we do that each chapter there are scriptures we go through to look at, you know, what does, what does our culture tell us about who God is in times of suffering? He's angry. He's punishing us. And so then we look at the scripture to say, is that true? Is that what's happening here? And it's, it's through that process, it kind of reframes so that those questions we ask ourselves of, is he good? Can he be good when this happens? They help us to be informed in light of what's true rather than what the enemy would have us to believe or our culture would have us to believe. I'm wondering how this sits alongside 
um, secular counselling or psychology or, you know, or, or, uh, therapy? The important thing is to say that people who are trained to do trauma healing are not credentialed therapists. Um, basically, we're helping each other in the church be better listeners, um, be able to walk with people. But the great part is often in trainings, you do have credentialed therapists who love, because it is best practices of mental health with scripture, you know, because like you said, hope is kind of a hope. So like a wishful, a hope. And as, as believers, um, in fact, I looked up hope because I thought I, I don't ever like to just throw words around, but hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. And hope's strength is in God's faithfulness. So we're back to his character, you know, that that we have a confident expectation. Now that gets shaken, like we said, in suffering, sometimes because we've set our expectation in that I didn't think I didn't think I would ever have to go through this. You know, we we think have things that happen that we didn't expect or that would never we would never have chosen for ourselves, but they come our way and they shake us. So we have to look back and go, what can I expect? And, um, and, and then there's, it's important to understand that sometimes suffering comes in and it just immobilizes us for a bit. And that's when my hope, I'll use it another way, is that, you know, you, you don't train for a marathon while running a marathon. And so if, if reading the scripture is part of our practice, then we're better equipped when things do come our way. That's not to say that the scripture cannot speak in the midst of suffering, even if we haven't ever. But it's just after my dad died um, in 2008, I was actually in preparation for this. I got my journals back out and looked and I journaled right the day he died. And then not again until July because he was he died in May and not again until July because I was just in the fog. But what came to me. Um, was Psalm 23. And I just sat with that. The Lord is my shepherd. And I remember, like I said before, my two accusations were, where were you and how did you let this happen? Um, Because of the way he died. And I didn't get an answer to the why you let this happen, but I got an answer to the where were you? And that he was also with me. You know, I after sitting with Psalm 23, what I realized is that what I'm promised is his, is God's presence. Not that I won't walk through the valley of the shadow, not that I will not be in the presence of enemies, you know, not that I won't need some disciplining and protection, but that he is with me. And that was a tremendous comfort to me. And it helped me get my expectations straight. And if I'm honest, I still struggle with fear from time to time because I am aware that that something I would not choose could come my way. And so um, I struggle with that and I have to go back to the Lord and say, I really don't want this. I w-. The way I say it to him is, please don't require this of me today. Um, when I was at the birth of my first grandchild, I had a wave of panic, you know, because sometimes bad things happen. And I know that I'm not promised that nothing bad will happen. And that wave came and I just begged the Lord, you know, please don't require this of me today. But I know that he's with me. 
um, that, that season taught me that I came out believing he's good. Not that all things are good, but that God is good. Do you think that, um, in trauma healing and, and more generally a kind of a, an understanding of, of the God who is with us through suffering, do you think that's something that actually it, it's not just to be reached for, um, for, for those who have sought it or who realize they're at the depths, but do you think this is, is something that actually the church needs to be working with just as a, as a standard way of Christian living? Absolutely. You know, that, that there's a book called uh, Practicing the Presence of God, just that awareness that we are not alone, that we are, he is, he is with us always. He's not a, a genie in a bottle, if you will, that we rub when bad times come, but that we can enjoy his presence um, in his word, you know, every day and just presence in nature, you know, just the sunrise. I'm sorry, I'm looking outside because that's where my outside is. <laughs> so I'm looking at the trees and just learning to delight that all good things come from him. I'm just, I, I'm just wondering in all this is hope and suffering. How do we understand hope without suffering? Can we? That's a great question. I think, I think we would like it not to require it but it has a purifying effect, if you will. And it it makes us long, long for eternity, as you mentioned, for the time when there is no more pain and no more crying and no more death. You know, Revelation 21 is just so beautiful as a reminder of that comes. So there's our future hope. And then there's the awareness that he's with us here as we walk toward the future hope. People who have walked through very difficult things and grieved them well have an understanding. They would really rather not be in that club. You know, there are clubs that you would really never like to be in. And yet there is that awareness, like you said, it comes. It's a product of suffering. And the scripture talks about suffering as Christ did, that there's, there is a process that's necessary um, the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't, we would like to opt out, but there is, that's there. Just adding on to that as well, it brings me back to, to Romans 5, doesn't it? That um, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And, and I think sometimes we can we can look for the hope, but but you almost need to not look at what's going on, but actually what's going on is that the perseverance is building the character and the character is then, is then able to, to hold on to that hope, isn't it? That, and that's a pro- that's a long process because what you're talking about is is process you know whether that's you know that 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 period of silence in your journaling or whether it's you know that that process of walking with somebody for years as they as they they choose to forgive again and again and again where would you start with someone who perhaps is listening to this and and they're just out of reserves you know, they, they, they have nothing left and, and, and they feel I can't, I can't open the Bible because it, it doesn't make sense to me right now. I feel like I am in a, in a pit. Where would you start with them? I would say that you're not alone. We feel like we are. I love Psalm 34, 18 that says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. 
I don't know that I'd ever seen that verse until the last five years, but I love that, that he is near. We may not feel that he's near, but he's near. Um, I would encourage them to reach out to somebody, to a person, if they can. I remember my husband said one time when we were, he was kind of in a low season and he said, I know, I know what is true. He said, but I just need somebody with skin on. And so whether that's a Zoom call, um, I would encourage us all to be checking on each other too. But um, Psalm 73, I love this. I, I This was actually in my journal shortly after my dad's death. Psalm 73, and it says, it starts with a nevertheless, which kind of to me says, no matter what else, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that, is I, that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I just love that because that actually acknowledges our weakness. My heart and my flesh may fail, but he doesn't. Our thanks to Kelly Sterling. You can find out more about the Trauma Healing Institute as well as resources made for this current pandemic at scottish.bible forward slash hope and suffering.